Luke chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 32 today. Luke chapter 15. The church is a dysfunctional family. The church is a dysfunctional family. That means no matter what church you go to or what denomination that you are a part of, that statement is true. The church is a dysfunctional family. But the good news is that God the Father adopts dysfunctional, messy people. That's the good news into his family. Not those who are fresh and clean, who have it all together. No, it's messy, dysfunctional people that he brings into his kingdom. You see, he clearly sees and knows our dysfunctional hearts. He knows that his sons and daughters will play dysfunctional roles within his family. And I mentioned those roles last week. There's the role of the black sheep, and now there's the role of the goody two-shoes. All believers, I don't care how long you've been a believer, you will struggle with those two roles all your life. You don't have to live in them, but you will struggle with them because you still sin, because we're not in heaven yet. Last week we, we talked about the, the black sheep. This week we're going to talk about the goody two shoes. And here's God's word, Luke 15, beginning in verse 25. Now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came and, and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother was dead, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is now found. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, this is your word, Father. But the very word of God is not my words, is not the, the opinion of the village church, but it's your truth that, have been, that has been around for many centuries. This is your truth that will outlive all of us. It will remain the same. And so, Father, that the same spirit, Lord, that, that came in Pentecost, I need that same spirit to move today. I need that same spirit to, to move in my heart to help my unbelief and to help the unbelief of everyone that's here. You know, Father, our frame. 
You know what it's like to, to be us. Christ knows, but yet he's without sin. He is a great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weakness. We're all weak. We can pretend like we're not. We can pretend like we have it all together. But you know, Father, you know us. You know what we hide. You see the true us. And so I pray that your spirit will minister to that part of our life that we try to hide from everybody else. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. The father in this parable has two sons. Last week we, we saw how he fathered his younger son, his black sheep son. Today we're going to see how he fathers his older son. How he fathers his goody two-shoes son. The first thing he does is he goes to the son and he entreats the son. He comes and entreats. Now, before he goes to the, younger, the older son, we know that he receives back the younger son. And he is happy. He has a lot of joy in his heart because his son returned from the far country. He embraces him with a kiss. He hugs him. He covers his younger son with, with grace and, and mercy. He restores him, right? Give him the best robe. Give him the sandals. And then he threw a party for him. He threw a party. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have a good old time here in our village because my younger son has returned. But, the fa- but this joyous father is not foolish. He's not naive. He's not clueless. He fully knows he also has an older son who's the polar opposite of his younger son. Polar opposite. He knows that. He knows that both of his sons are dysfunctional. He knows both of them have issues. He knows both of them have been playing certain roles. The father knows them well. He knows his younger son is a black sheep. He also knows his older son is a goody two-shoes. Look at how Jesus introduces the, the older son. He says, now the older son was in the field. I think that's, kind of, that's fitting for him. He was in the field working, working, working hard, I'm sure. And these words should communicate to you something about the older son, something the father always knew is true. The father knows the older son loves to follow the rules. Loves to do everything right. He worships productivity. He's a hard, dependable worker who externally, on the outside, he says and does all the right things. He's disciplined. He's obedient. He's moral. He's what you would call the ideal child. Don't offer any complaints. Don't talk back. He, whatever you say is, yes, sir, yes, sir, I'll do it. Whatever you want, Father, I'll do it. Go feed the sheep, I'll do it, Father. But his heart, his heart is far from the Father. His heart is far from the Father. But on the outside, he's fresh and clean. And he, appear, he appears to have it all together with zero issues. The oldest son, has, he, he, he has a love affair with his own works. He has a love affair with his own goodness. 
He has a love affair with his own morality. He has a love affair with his own achievements. And that affair has blinded him to the, to, from seeing the deceitfulness of his own heart because he thinks he's so good. He's a good at two-shoes. From his perspective, he's okay. I'm good. I'm the better son because I follow all the rules. I, I'm obedient. I'm good. This is his mindset. This is his view of himself as he returns to the father's house after a hard day's work. And when he gets near the house, he hears music and dancing. It confuses him. He's like, what's going on? Why is there a celebration? Why is everyone happy? And and, and, Isn't there a lot of work to be done? Why is there a party? He has no idea that his younger brother is home. He has no idea what his father has done for his younger brother. But all is going to be made clear. All will be made clear. He asks the servant, what's going on? The servant tells him in verse 26, verse 27, he says, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf. Your, your father forgave your brother. Your father showed mercy to your brother. And not only that, he threw a party for your brother. Can you imagine what is going through his mind? What would be going through your mind if you were him and you had a sibling that devoured your father's property and he came back and your father said, all is good. How would you feel? You know how you feel? That ain't fair. That's exactly how you feel. That ain't fair. He's like, excuse me? Who came back? My father did what? Your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. The father's grace to the younger son exposes the older son's dysfunction. It exposes it. But the older son still can't see it. He's not filled with joy. He's not happy. He's angry. He's angry. He's upset. Who do you think he's angry with? Who? Is it his black sheep brother or his gracious father? He's angry with his gracious father. The anger in his heart is not a righteous anger. It's a sinful anger. It expresses itself in his refusal to enter the party. He decides to stay outside. I'm pretty sure like this. Bitter. But what he doesn't see is that his father knows he's not there. His father knows that he's not there. His father sees that his oldest son is not in the party. So the father leaves the party to go find his oldest son. He comes to him. Why? Because he loves his older son too. Don't miss that. The father leaving the party and coming to his older son is an act of grace toward that son. But the son don't see it. He comes to him. 
just just like he did the younger son. The father comes and meets his older son in his dysfunction. He comes to meet him in his struggle. Listen, he knows his older son is a goody two-shoes. Remember, this, the father here is God. It's a reputation of who God is as father. So God knows if you're a goody two-shoes or not. He knows it. He already sees it. And his father here knows that his older son is self-righteous. He knows his older son tries to earn favor by being good and obedient. So the father is not caught off guard by his older son's struggle. He probably expected him to have a negative reaction to his brother coming back. He probably expected him to have a negative reaction toward him for being gracious to his black sheep brother. But notice how he fathers this son. It says he entreats him. He entreats him. It does, he, he doesn't say, boy, get your self-righteous self in the house. I ain't got time for this. It's my house. I forgive who I want to forgive. Now get inside and be happy. No. He doesn't say that. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't guilt him. He's gracious. Even to this son, he entreats him. That means he is urgent and he's passionate about his son coming to the party. That this term, entreat, can also mean comfort in the Greek. The father is comforting his son at the same time. But the son rejects it. He rejects it. He doesn't truly know the type of man his father is. He doesn't. He's even blind to that. Boy Scouts of America, they give out what they call merit badges to their scouts. These merit badges badges re- recognizes and, and a scout for any type of achievement, a project that the scout does. These badges signify status that indicate special achievement. Your oldest son is a Boy Scout. He has made his own merit badges, and he wears them proudly. His goodness, his performance, his morality, his obedience, his hard work, his productivity. Those are his merit badges. Those are the badges that he wears. And he wears them. He wants everybody else to see him. He wants everybody else to recognize him. He wants everybody else to acknowledge him because of them. What about you? What are your merit badges that you wear daily and you want people to give you credit for it? You want people to commend you for it? Your goodness? Your performance as a a parent or spouse? Your spiritual holiness? Your obedience? Your hard work? Your service to the church? The money and time you give, the fact that you come to the village church and volunteer with LVM, you have the right theology, or you vote for the right and best political party. What is it? We all are self-righteous about something. We all have self-righteous merit badges about something because all of us are goody two-shoes about something in our life. But do you see it? Wherever it is, you think they think it makes you better than someone else. That's a merit badge. 
We're just like this older brother. We use our merit badges to earn God's favor all the time. We do. To earn his favor, to earn his acceptance. The son is angry with his father and rejects his father because the father has not accepted him because of those merit badges. The father hasn't acknowledged those merit badges. And so the son is angry. I've done all I can do, Father, to earn these things and they have not earned me anything. They haven't earned me anything. Again, notice how the father fathers him. He he comes to the son. He entreats his son. He comforts his son. And he listens to him. He listens to his son. What does he tell his father? Look, these many years I serve you. I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. What's behind those words? The father listens to his son, lists off his merit badges. That's what he's telling his father. These are my badges, Father. These are the things I've done. Look at them. Pay attention to them. Merit badge one. These many years, I serve you. I serve you. Your younger son, he didn't serve you. I serve you. Our heart worked hard. I labored for you for years. The, the force of the verb that Christ uses here is this. He's saying, I slaved for you these many years. Not just served. I was a slave for you. I sacrifice for you. I work my hands to the bone for you. And for what? Mad Bash 2. I never disobeyed your command. In all these years, I was obedient. I followed your rules. I do whatever you tell me, do without complaint. I'm good. I'm obedient, I'm faithful, I perform well, I'm productive, I'm righteous, I'm moral. I'm, look at me, Father. Take note of who I am. Pay attention. I'm angry because these mad badges have not earned me your favor, have not earned me your attention, your approval. I, you didn't even give me a goat. You did alone a calf, a goat. I'm the good son. I'm more deserving of your favor. But instead, you show favor to that black sheep son of yours. You show it to him. The son who disrespected you to your face. The son who devoured your property with prostitutes. He returns and you kill the calf for him. You forgive him. That's unfair. My younger brother does not deserve favor. He deserves judgment. I'm the one that deserves favor. I'm the good one. I have the badges. I have the merits. I deserve favor. I deserve acceptance. In fact, the older son probably believes the father should be grateful to have a son like him who works hard and follows all the rules. You should be thankful that you have a son like me. It's, the, it's, it's your younger son who deserves judgment. 
He deserves disapproval. He deserves rejection. He deserves abandonment. He deserves wrath. I deserve mercy. The oldest son. My son often tells me, Daddy, you're not listening. Daddy, you're not listening to me. Sometimes he's spot on because I'm either looking to correct him or I'm not giving him my full attention. But I praise God that he's not like me or any other earthly father because you never have to say to him, Daddy, you're not listening. I'm grateful for that because last night I was having a goody-two-shoe moment last night. Because I will listen off for God all the good things I've done, all the hard work I've been doing for my family and for, and for this church. And I want to know, where's my fruit? Where's my favor? And me and him, we were having one of those moments last night. And I told my kid, I said, my kid, I feel like Gideon. I feel like the Lord is taking away things from me, taking things out of my life, and I do not like it. I do not like it, but I know he's doing it to make me trust him more because I've got comfortable, but I still don't like it. I think we all have moments when we think we we are owed more than what we've gotten, whether it's attention, approval, raising a job, recognition, a promotion, whatever. And when those moments occur, our emotions change. We can get upset. We can get frustrated with God. But the Father remains the same. He will listen to you. He will give you his full attention. Just like the Father here gave his, his older son. He's compassionate with us. Even when we're frustrated. Even when we're struggling. We're thinking... We're, even when we struggle with self-righteousness, he's still compassionate with us. He is. The father listens to his son. And this is, what he, this is how he tries to heal his son. He reminds him of his sonship. He reminds him of his sonship. This is how he's gonna, he tries to handle his son's self-righteousness. He reminds him of his sonship. Verse 31, he says, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. I say it again. Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is already yours. Think about that. What is he telling him? I want each of us to please understand something about our hearts, that even as a believer, our hearts are still deceitful. We can't fully trust them. This means that, that you're not just prone to be a black sheep who wanders into the far country, but you're also prone to be a goody two-shoes who uses your own merit to try to earn God's favor, just like the older son here. You will struggle with those two things. You will. You will. And when you're struggling with self-righteousness, the father will remind you of your sonship or your daughtership. You see, the older son was living like a slave instead of a son. 
That's how he was living in his father's house, like a slave or orphan, not like a son. He thinks the father should accept him and favor him because of his hard work, because of his obedience. But the beauty of his sonship is that the father accepts him and favors him and loves him, not because he's good, but because he is his son. The father loves him and favors him, not because he follows the rules, not because he's the perfect son, but the fact because he is my son. The same reason you should love your kids, not because they get good grades, but because they're your kids, because they're your son, they're your daughter, because if they think you love them because of their goodness, then guess what? You're screwing them up for life because they're going to make mistakes. They're going to fail. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to let you down. They're going to get all A's. But if they, if, you, if they think you love them because of that, you're hurting them for life. Because daddy only loves me when I do well. When I'm disobedient, he doesn't. That kid's going to be in counseling later on. <laughs> he will. She will. The same reason the father loves you, we should love our own kids. He loves you because you're his. Not because of what you do. Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. Do you see how he, he lovingly and graciously fathers his son here? He doesn't ridicule him. He doesn't shame him for being a goody-two-shoes. The father knows his son struggles. And the father knows what his son needs. The son needs to be reminded of his sonship. This phrase you are always with me, speaks of a relationship. You are always with me in a relationship. Not a master and slave relationship, but a father-son relationship. That's how you're with me. That's how you're with me. The son has forgotten what type of man his father is. Just like we always forget what type of father God is. This phrase, all that is mine, means the older son can freely enjoy being a son. Please understand that. He's been slaving to earn what he could freely enjoy. He already had favor. You know what else that meant? If he wanted that goat, he could have went and got that goat. <laughs> he didn't have to work for it. He could have went and got it. All that is mine is already yours. Just enjoy it and stop trying to earn it. The father's telling his son, you never have to earn my attention. You never have to earn my favor. You already have all of them. 100% of the time. Your performance don't add to it. Your performance don't take away from it. You're my son. You're always with me. And all that I have is yours. Enjoy it instead of trying to earn it. And God the Father said the same to you. Because Christ has earned it for you. He has earned it for you. Every time you try to earn God's favor, this is you trying to get up on the cross with Christ. This is you trying to be Jesus. This is you trying to die for your own sins. He paid it all. All you have to do is rest. Enjoy it. Enjoy what Christ has purchased for you. 
you can't get any more of God's favor. You can't get any more of his acceptance. You can't get any more of his attention. You have it to the fullest. We have to learn to enjoy it and rest in it and embrace it. That's what we have to do. He's already paid the price so that you can have it. You don't have to pay the price yourself. So if you don't know Christ, you know what that means? That means you don't have God's favor. And you have his wrath. But if you want God's favor, if you want to be a child of God, a friend of God, then you've got to kind of save in faith in Christ. That's the only way you get in. The only way. Not by coming to church. Not by doing good work. It's by surrendering your life to Christ. That's how you get God's favor. That's how you become a daughter. That's how you become a son. There is no other way. There is no other way. So will you surrender to him if you don't know him? In one of our parent-teachers meetings with my daughter's first grade teacher, she told us about a story of one of her previous families who were focusing, put so much emphasis on their child getting good grades. And this kid was in the first grade, and she said this kid was, has already developed panic attacks about tests. In the first grade, panic attack. Every time a test comes, he gets nervous because if he didn't get a good grade, he's going to get in trouble when he gets home. So the kid would get nervous and freak out. This is not how God does you. This is not how God parents you. He's not looking for you to get all A's in a Christian life. What he's looking for you to do is to rest in being a Christian. Rest in being his child. Rest in being his daughter or his son. We are the ones that over-assess by how well we're performing. We get panic attacked because we don't think we're becoming better Christians. We get panic attacked because, well, I should be done with that struggle. But we have to realize you will struggle with sin until you die. He may deliver you from one sin, but I guarantee you something else coming up the street that you didn't see. There's always going to be a struggle, and the Father knows that. That's why there's grace. That's why there's mercy. That's why there's forgiveness. The moment I laid my eyes on my two babies, that was the moment that had all of me. The same way God views you. The moment you came to Christ was the moment he says, he or she has all of me. All of who I am. So, live to embrace his free favor instead of living to earn it. The former is a restful child, and the latter is a a talent orphan. If you're living to earn God's favor, then you're going to be one tired Christian because you're going to realize you already got it. You already have it. Let us pray. Father, I pray. No, I, I want to thank you that even when we struggle with being the younger son or being the older son, you are still gracious to us both. You're still gracious to us in our struggles. You're more gracious to us than we are to ourselves. We don't show ourselves enough grace because we think we should be on some level or higher level. But Lord, all through life, All through this journey, 
You hold on to us. We don't hold on to you. You hold on to us. You change us. You keep us. You bring us to glory. We don't bring ourselves. It's always what Christ has done for us. It's never what we do for Christ. And it never will be. It's what he always does for us. What he has done for us. Help us to rest in his finished work. Help us to rest in the grace that you freely bestow upon us. Help us to have peace. And Lord, you know all of us. You know all of our families. You know our struggles. You know our circumstances. You know our uncertainties. You know our fears. You know our frustrations. You know everything. And you also know what we need when we need it. And so my prayer is that you help us to embrace your fatherhood more and more in our life. And I pray for all these things in your son's wonderful name. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service?